I invite you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue to go through the Ten Commandments. We're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Again, this is a very short commandment, very short verse, one with which I trust that we're all familiar. Uh, I'd like to start this morning with just a, a bit of a review. It's been a little while since we've uh, been uh, a couple of weeks since we've been going through the commandments, and I'd just like to remind us about what we're all about as we as we turn to this God's law, the moral law. And what I'm about to say bears frequent reminding. Uh, I, I've said it before. Uh, as we finish up these commandments, I, I'm sure I'll say it again. Uh, but apart from from knowing this and understanding this we are likely to uh, not see the law in a, in a right way. And, and so this, this is it, uh, that all of God's moral law, and remember the, the moral law as we speak about it, it represents law, period. What, what is right in this world and what is wrong. Uh, and so there is great depth here, even though we often just see the surface when we come to these commandments. Uh, but they cover really who God is and how He has chosen to reveal Himself to us, His character to us. And uh, lawyer and a Pharisee, uh, the, the question was, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Uh, and so they had the, the Ten Commandments, but the, the question was, which of these, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That was another way of summarizing all of God's Word, all the Old Testament. Uh, on these two commandments rest uh, the entirety of God's Word. So two commandments. Love God and love neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. It's, it's that simple. You know, and, and I really think as we go through God's law, we need to have that echoing in our minds constantly. And remember, when the law was given to Moses, it was given in the form of two tablets, uh, and the, the, the law itself was inscribed on those tablets. And we think of the first tablet as having that first uh, commandment, in essence. It was four commandments, uh, the first four, all speaking of love God. And then the, the, the second tablet having six commandments, the remainder, all speaking of love neighbor. And we see that you can never, as we are apt to come to these commandments and just look at the commandment and say, that's what I've got to do. I have to do this commandment. And what do we do? We begin to form a checklist. What does this commandment really mean? We go off and we, we check it off without the beginning point, which must underlie everything that we do when it comes to the law. And that is love God. And we know that the Lord has given for us to love God, and there is one way by which we do that. And He has made that way through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to keep in mind that that first one is, is always there. But when we love God, when we know God, when we're walking with God, then and only then are we truly able to do that which is on the second tablet. And so this commandment that we're looking at this morning, uh, the Eighth Commandment, uh, Exodus 20, verse 15. This is God's Word. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank You that You know our, our hearts that as we, each one of us here, as we approach this, uh, your law, that you know our hearts, you know what is 
true of us when it comes to your law. Uh, We recognize, if we're at all in touch with ourselves, that we tend to twist things. We tend to turn things and to see them in a certain way that says, yes, I am in line with this, uh, with your law. And yet you, you know the truth. You know our own hearts. And so I, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would do that work upon us as we look at what this means, that you would help us to see, do we truly love you? And therefore, are we truly loving our neighbor? And, and, and do we see and we know what that means in the context of this commandment? Uh, Father, we pray that you would work upon our hearts and and help us with this understanding this morning that we might grow more and more in our relationship with you. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the the commentaries that I've been reading is been looking at the the Ten Commandments. Uh, it, it, It describes a Norman Rockwell painting that was on the front cover of a magazine at one point, the Saturday Evening Post. And so if you're familiar with that, maybe the Post, but especially the, the paintings that used to be on the front, uh, Norman Rockwell, then maybe that'll help you with being able to, to picture this. Uh, the painting had an, an older woman who was uh, really very prim and, and proper. She had the flowery hat, and uh, she was in a butcher shop. And uh, she was purchasing a turkey. And so in the picture, you can see the turkey, and you see the butcher. The turkey's on a scale, and the scale's hanging from the ceiling. And the butcher's on one side of the scale. And so you can see him looking up at the weight of the turkey. And the woman is on the other side of the scale, and you see her as well looking up at, at the weight, the display at the top of the weight. But what, what the woman can't see is that the butcher has his finger on the scale. You get it? And he's pushing down. And, you know, the heavier the turkey is, what happens? The more it's worth, right? <laughs> the more the customer is going to need to pay. But what the, what the butcher can't see is that the woman on the other side of the scale has her finger underneath the scale, and she's pushing up. And you can only imagine that uh, the butcher's trying to figure out why is this this, uh, turkey, why is it so light? And she's trying to figure out why is this turkey so heavy? But what you can see in in the picture is that they are both very smugly satisfied with what they're doing with what they're engaged in. Now, no doubt, if you were were to be able to see behind the scene, uh, that if they knew what the other person was doing, they would feel cheated. And they probably, possibly, make it known, and by whatever means, you know, don't don't go to this butcher, uh, she would say. Um, But at the same time, they were probably okay, almost certainly okay with what they were doing. They had a way of justifying what they were doing. That The woman might have, might have been thinking in her mind, you know, I, I've, I've bought many turkeys over the years, and this, this butcher is, is charging far more for this turkey than I should be paying, so it should be cheaper. Uh, and now the butcher, on the other hand, might be looking at this woman prim and proper. He, he might say, I know something about this woman. I know where she lives and the house that she lives in and all the money that she has. And here I am working day in and day out and slaving. And so she needs to pay more for this turkey. Notice both of them justifying what they're doing, neither of them having a problem with what they are doing, but both of them very directly and clearly breaking the Eighth Commandment. And, you know, I, 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 
you know, reading about that uh, picture, and I actually looked it up online and, and looked at the, the, the picture itself, and, it, and I thought, that's a wonderful illustration of what we do. Not just with this commandment, but, but in some ways, I, I think perhaps especially with this commandment, I, I would guess that at least 95% of us here, I don't know about the other 5%, but 95% of us here would not see ourselves as thieves. Uh, that wouldn't be something in our vocabulary and in, in the way that we thought about or looked at our, ourselves. And yet, neither did the butcher or this woman. Yet they had long, probably, long practiced in their minds ways of justifying exactly what they were doing in this case. And, you know, I think that if we could only see ourselves truly, if we could only see and recognize the ways that we justify uh, certain behaviors that we have, and, and hopefully as we go through this, com- this commandment, it, it will allow us to dig in and, and perhaps see some of that, but certainly as we look at others, you know, we are better able to see ways that others justify, you know, perhaps saying one thing, and it's just clear, there's the picture right in front of us, there's something else that's going on, yet we need to be able to recognize that we do the same things. Think about this with, uh, relative to this commandment. Someone goes to a hotel and, you know, grabs one of the towels and, and, folds it up and, and throws it in their bag and, and perhaps takes it with them. Uh, there's someone else who, this happens to be tax season, who knows there are certain ways that you know, they're cutting corners here or there. Uh, maybe someone else, that, this is a very simple one, uh, but at a, at a restaurant that, you know, after done with a meal, just grabs the, the sugar packets and throws them in a bag and, you know, heads out of the restaurant. Um, yeah, in, in each of those cases, and you may say with one of those or all of them, that's okay. It's not a problem. I mean, you may have done it yourself, and, and you know, there may be reasons there for it. But on the other hand, you, you might point to that and say, wait a second, that's, that's stealing. You can't do that. But it's guaranteed for each of those individuals who might have practiced uh, those uh, acts of, of stealing, that they, they've got a response that's already made up in their mind. If you were to say, that's stealing, uh, where they would say, no, that's not stealing, and then would follow the justification. You know, well, certainly, we, we paid for this meal. We paid plenty for this meal, so the sugar is ours. Or, yeah, those, those towels, they, they don't really, uh, you know, they, they get dirty and grimy all the time. They just toss them. I'm doing them a favor by uh, taking the towel with, with me. And then taxes, and I'll let you imagine what kind of justifications we can come up with when it comes to taxes. But the point here is that it's not out there. It's not just out there that justification for sin takes place, but it's here. We do the same. We, we we take that which is not ours to take. And that's really a simple definition uh, for this commandment. It's one that we all know. You shall not steal. We know that definition, whether we're young or old, believer or unbeliever. Uh, we all basically know what it is to steal. Uh, and we know that it's wrong. But it's not that simple in practice, is it? Because we can be so quick in our hearts to justify, uh, and it may be a small justification, maybe it's a, a difference of 50 cents, or it can be a large justification, maybe it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, and maybe in a lot of those categories we can say, no, I am good, I, I really am, I, I, I don't, but the question is, do we, do we go further and see all the areas that this commandment covers. It really doesn't matter. The commandment says, you shall not steal. Now, what are we saying when, when we steal? What are we saying in essence 
and, and I trust that all of us, by the time we finish today, will be able to see areas where we do or think of areas where this is speaking directly. The Lord is speaking uh, to us, speaking to our hearts. Uh, even though, you know, I read in a, there was a recent survey that said that, uh, sometimes you can't put a lot of stock in surveys, but this one said, for what it's worth, that uh, on a, a questionnaire that 90% of professing evangelicals said that this is a commandment that they don't, don't really have a problem with, uh, with stealing. So this didn't, doesn't apply to them. Uh, for example, we're going to touch a number of examples. If, if you fail to, to focus and you have a job to do that's in front of you, you fail to put in, uh, if it's a day's work, or you fail to, to do that job uh, in the way that you know that it, it, it should be done and that you're responsible for doing it, uh, but instead, if it's an employer, you steal from your employer. What, what does that say about us? Well, what it says is that we are not content with what the Lord has provided. We don't accept and, and receive God's providential control over us. We're not looking to Him. We're not trusting in Him and what He has provided. We're, we're saying, in essence, I want something else, or perhaps I deserve something else, something more. Maybe I don't think that this job is, is good enough. Uh, or it doesn't pay enough, or this job is too stressful. Therefore, I'm going to take it into my own hands and not do the work, perhaps. Uh, in Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, let, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need, including himself. Uh, don't steal, but labor well. Accepting the good work that the Lord has given you, accepting perhaps the rewards that, or, or the, the, the payment that comes from that work, uh, this, is, this is not a statement here telling us not to better ourselves, not to, not to increase our estate even. Uh, but it is telling us to, to receive and accept and be content with that which the Lord has given us in this moment. And therefore, not to unjustly steal. And that's where justifications come in. Uh, that word unjustly, we say, well, this is not un, unjust. And yet, so very often, uh, it can be or it is. You know, when we steal, and this is, this is at the heart of this commandment, when we steal, it points to a lack of dependence upon the Lord's provision for us. This commandment says, you shall not steal. In other words, trust God's provision for you. Remember what we read earlier out of uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6. Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Well, of course, the answer is yes. Yes, of far more value. And that is what, what it's saying there. But what does he say to do further on down? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. He, he says, look to me and depend upon me. And he's not only speaking about material things, he, he's especially dealing with our greatest need here, which is a spiritual need. Find your rest in me, because I have provided for that. Find your rest in me. You know, when we look to the Lord in full dependence upon Him, we will no longer steal. Our thirst will be met by His provision, and we will no longer justify our stealing, which, which often, as we see in this passage, causes anxiety. But we will find true rest for our souls. 
uh, trust in Him. So uh, as we've been doing with uh, many of these commandments, I'd, I'd like to just ask two questions of this commandment. Uh, first of all, what does the commandment mean? Uh, and there we'll be looking more at the kind of the surface level meaning of it. But then secondly, how deep does it go? Uh, and they're really dealing with, uh, with our hearts. So what does this commandment mean? Well, at the surface level, it really is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Uh, if, if, if we take, if we go over to our neighbor's house and we take a wheelbarrow, but we, in our minds, in our hearts, we never really have an intent to return that wheelbarrow. Well, we're stealing. That's stealing. We know that. Uh, a pickpocket who takes that which doesn't belong to him, puts it in his pocket. That's a very clear picture of, of stealing. Confession. Uh, and, and I trust that all of us could do this type of thing, so I, I'll, I'll put myself on the, the block. But uh, when I was very young at uh, church, it happened to be First United Methodist Church, there was a table that was always there. And on that table, there were a stack of devotionals, uh, the upper room, if I remember correctly. And next to those devotionals was a bowl. And that bowl was for donations as people would take one of the booklets, they'd just donate something into the bowl. I was there at the church at times when others weren't there at the church. There was nobody else there to see. And so a dollar might have been in the bowl. And there were times when I took a dollar out of that bowl and I took it down. There was a strip mall next to the church and uh, in it was a, a pharmacy kind of place and they had candy bars and I would buy a candy bar or two. Well, back then you may have been able to get three for a dollar. But... Uh, it was a case, and I look back, of stealing. It was very clear stealing. It was egregious stealing. I do remember the weight of guilt upon me for what I had done. Uh, and yet, and, and I don't remember if I had justified it or tried to, attempted to in my mind. But, but again, a, a very clear example of stealing. And sometimes it's that straightforward. You know, in the Cherokee Scout over the past year, if you read that regularly, there were a, a couple of instances in which uh, they, they were exactly the same type of uh, occurrence. One of them was a couple who had, over the years, siphoned off many years, uh, embezzled money from their employer. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, if I remember correctly. Uh, and the other one was, was like that. You know, these are the things that we often associate with this commandment. But there are also other ways that we can take advantage of our, of our neighbor. And, and let me just say, let me give uh, another definition here for stealing. And this, this is actually from Martin Luther. He put it this way. He said, this commandment is violated by taking advantage of our neighbor in any sort of dealing that results in loss to him. You read that again. This commandment's violated by taking advantage of our neighbor in any sort of dealing that results in loss to him. And so what we've got to re realize about this commandment is that it's not just about us. It's actually more so about the one whom we might wrong or we might have wronged. Uh, and so what are other ways that we might wrong someone, our neighbor, so that it results in loss to him. You know, there are different kinds of fraud, kind of like uh, the butcher and the older woman, but, but some of these can be tricky situations. Imagine that you're selling a house. Many of us here have been in that position, selling a house, and you fail to disclose a significant shortcoming that you know about that house. Kind of like you're pushing down on the scale like the butcher because you're seeking to increase the value of the property in an underhanded way. Now, you, you might reply, 
Burglary. I've, I've looked at that. If the house is here in North Carolina, I've looked at that. I've looked at the laws in North Carolina, and this is something I don't have to disclose. I'm good. Is that the under? Is that the only law that we are under, or are we under God's law? The question: Is it a violation of God's law? Is it stealing? What about this? And these kind of tug at our hearts. They make us ask difficult questions. You you charge more for a product than you know that the product is really worth. You know, generally, this is seen as being a positive thing. You're skilled at selling things, selling goods. Uh, and, And the view is that if you can find somebody that's willing to pay the price, then... Good, good on you. You're, you're able to sell it for a higher price. But we've got to be careful with this because it can become a justification for taking advantage of people and of situations, for causing a loss in the other person. You know, in, in all things, it's God's law that we must look to to govern our situations. And His instruction is this, concern yourself with the object's actual value and with the one to whom it's going to. The question is, is not to be how much can I get, but rather how much is it worth? You know, the, the principle is... God's provision for you is enough. The question for us is, am I trusting in Him? Am I honoring Him uh, in the workplace? Employers can steal from their employees and the other way around. Uh, in, in this case, it's not embezzlement, but as an employee, when you, when you don't put in the time that's required of you or you cut corners, you don't dedicate the effort that is needed and that the job calls for. If you're idle, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, admonish the idle. There's a problem there that needs to be corrected. You know, failing to put in the effort, failing to do the work is stealing. The same is true if you're a student. We've got those who are students here, young, uh, some perhaps older. But if you hold back from doing the work that you know that you're called to do, it is stealing. It may be stealing from your parents who are investing in your education. But most of all, it's stealing from God. He has made you. He has given you certain gifts. And He calls you to develop those gifts. Now, we could go on and on and on when it comes to this commandment at the surface level. There are so many ways Uh, for us to steal. And the problem that we face is that the world around us gives us all different manner of justification. We begin to think along those lines rather than uh, looking through the lens of Scripture. We need to recognize what the Lord calls us to. So I just ask you, okay, how how good are you doing so far? Have you found that you steal? Well, right now, we've just been looking at the surface level meaning. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Uh, There are a couple of principles that this commandment uh, draws out that are are helpful for us to observe. The first one involves property ownership. You know, this commandment says that no one has the right to invade another person's property. In other words, their property is their property. Or another way of looking at it is what's, what's mine is really mine. I, I have a right to my own property, and others do not have a right to that same property. And so this commandment uh, affirms what you might call a right to private ownership of property. You know, if you look at, at socialism as an an economic philosophy. It is unbiblical. Uh, God's law affirms the right to private ownership of property. But notice, if we look at the commandment, it doesn't state it that way. It It doesn't state it as a right, 
but it actually turns it around and it states it in terms of a responsibility. It says that I have a responsibility to respect my neighbor's right to private ownership of property. That's really the emphasis, that, that I'm not, by this commandment, to, to focus primarily on my rights, but on the fact that I owe my neighbor something. The intent here is to lead us to think about our neighbor more so than we think about ourselves. We have a responsibility to them to observe and to look and to see what is it that they need. And so this is not simply about me protecting my own estate, but the intent is that I would protect my neighbor's estate. So when the people of Israel heard, you shall not steal, They weren't merely to hear, hold back from taking that which doesn't belong to you. But they were to hear, you must embody the Lord's love for neighbor by loving them and caring for them. And that one principle drives this commandment much deeper. Now, here's what it sounds like in one instance uh, in the Old Testament law, the civil law. This is in Leviticus uh, chapter 19. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, this is a stranger, a foreigner, uh, one who's, who's not even part of you, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the, st- the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Why? It says, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What's the reason? What's the underlying reason? It's because of what I have shown to you. Remember uh, the way the two commandments summarize? Love God, love neighbor. It begins with loving God. Well, why were they to obey this commandment? Because of what I have done for you. Because you know that, you've seen that, you know me, and you love me, and therefore you're ready to love your neighbor. And what did it say? This is a foreigner. It said, you shall love him as yourself. How do you love yourself? You take care of yourself. You feed yourself. You watch over the needs that you have. You don't let yourself go without. That's what this commandment is saying. You have a responsibility to look out for your neighbor, to care for him, to care for her, In other words, you shall not steal. So if you see a need that he has, you have the ability to do something about that need, if if you have the ability to do something about that need. But if you choose not to, then you're stealing from him. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Isn't this exactly what Jesus was teaching in that parable? Remember, in the parable, there was a a priest. And the man who was hurting, who had been beaten, he was laying uh, by the side of the road. What did the priest do? He went around the far side of the road. Then after that, there was a Levite who went around the far side of the road and passed by uh, to avoid the man in the ditch because they didn't want anything to do with this man. Yet what was Jesus communicating by the Samaritan who stopped by? He was communicating that they had a responsibility to care for this man. And when they didn't take care of that responsibility, what did they do? They defrauded him and defrauded God at the same time. And the question there was what? It was, who is my neighbor? Who do I have a responsibility to care for? And the answer was, strangely enough, through that parable, everyone that the Lord places before me, all the way up to and including those whom I never would normally want to care for. Remember what the summary of this law is. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what every one of these six commandments are speaking about. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what this commandment is communicating. Yes, a right to private 
property ownership. But the emphasis is not on your right. The emphasis is on your responsibility. So it says, consider first the need of your neighbor, which in the community of faith is first those who are members of that community. And secondly, those who are outside of that community. And this certainly extends beyond material things. Let me give you one application of this. Uh, and it's one that, that must hit home uh, for me. Um, if, a, if a pastor fails to rightly preach God's Word and fails to care for the flock, but instead provides false assurances, maybe with sermons that are designed to be man-pleasing or for exalting himself, this is stealing. It's stealing from the flock, and it's stealing from God. You know, uh, the Lord said, and this was in uh, John chapter 10, He said, right there at the very beginning, uh, he who enters the door of the sheepfold, uh, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. If someone acts the part of a shepherd, but is not properly serving as a shepherd, then he is a thief or a robber. You know, his central concern needs to be the need of the sheep, that they are properly fed, that they receive that which is theirs by, really by right. And so this first principle of property ownership uh, that we must pay attention to and that, that it really is all about a responsibility of caring for those who are before us. Uh, but secondly, and I think even more fundamentally, this, this commandment is based upon the assumption that ultimate ownership of all things belongs to God. Now, we can call this the stewardship principle. Property ownership first, and then the stewardship principle. You know, when we begin to see things through the lens of Scripture, we... we we adopt a certain mindset, and we do this in all kinds of ways. And here, we adopt a mindset about material things, that they ultimately all belong to the Lord, that He gives them to us to watch over and, and, and to use. He gives them to us for the purposes that He has ordained, but they all ultimately belong to Him. Remember back in, in uh, Genesis now, chapter 1, or I'm sorry, uh, it would be Genesis, yeah, Genesis chapter 1, right there at the end, uh, the, the, the first property that was given to the man and to the woman, to Adam and Eve, apart from his body and her body, uh, were when God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it, all of it. He was making them caretakers of all that He had given them. And that right there at the very beginning, it established this principle that yes, there is private ownership of, of, of property, but what the Lord means by private ownership, and what His Word means, is not that we possess things, stuff in this world for our own purposes, but as caretakers of that which He has given us. In other words, while this commandment forbids us from taking that which belongs to other people, at the same time it requires us that we use that which the Lord has given us for His glory. And when we don't, then we are stealing from God. The commandment doesn't just forbid stealing, it commands stewardship as well. Did you ever think, you perhaps read through the Old Testament and, and read some of the, the commandments that were given uh, to the people in the, in the civil law, that when it came to, to the handling of their property, did you ever think 
you know, in this world, this, this is a little bit strange. This is kind of over the top, isn't it? Uh, because th- there was a principle there that was built into the very fabric of the life of Israel. And it had to do with their land, their inheritance, their land. But it also had to do with their money as well. Debts were to be forgiven in the community after seven years. Uh, this is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. And it's to occur at the end of every seven years you shall grant this release. In other words, people were to be released from debt every seven years. And he went on to say that there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. He's giving it to you. He's giving you the the property, but what are you to do with it? You are to steward it. You are to treat it according to how He treats it, because it ultimately belongs not to you, but to Him. Now, that, that was to Israel as, as a nation. It's not to us. We don't have that same commandment, but the principle is there throughout. It's given to us uh, that we are to treat all that we have as belonging to Him. Do you remember what happened end of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, with the church? What happened with property when when many people came for the first time to see and to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were in this community together. And what did they begin to do? They began to share with one another, each as they had need. Whatever I had, sharing with others as the need existed. But this commandment, it wasn't because there was a commandment that was hanging over them that said, you must. It wasn't a, a, it wasn't a socialistic society. But it was because you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been changed inside. You know that everything that you have now, that has, it's been provided by Him. Earlier we sang the hymn about thanksgiving, uh, having a thankful heart because of all that we've been given. That's the perspective that we take on when we see things through the lens of Scripture, when we know who the Lord really is and how He really provides, what does that do to us practically? It causes us to hold on to things loosely. He has given it, but it is His. And what do, we, what do we want to do with it? We want to prosper it. We want to grow it. We want to use it for His purposes and to His glory. How does that work out practically? If you own a house question is, do you use that house for His glory and to build others up? Some, some people have two houses. Now, this is not wrong. It's not sinful. This is the Lord's provision. But if you were to just let one of those houses sit for the majority of the year, rather than making some good use of it, especially while there is a lack of affordable housing, and you could help others, It changes things, doesn't it? When we recognize that all of it, all of it belongs to the Lord, and it's all for His purposes. And then we say, well, thank you, Lord, but the more I have, the more I am responsible for. One more example. Time and abilities that the Lord has given us. You know, the Lord has given us that which is is precious. You and I have a significant purpose in God's plan. We're, we're not just here marking time. I know many in the world around us live in that way, but he has, we know that He has molded you and me. He has shaped us. He has given us certain gifts and abilities. He's given us a particular background. You are unique, unlike any other person in this world. And He's placed you in a unique place 
You know, the psalmist says, Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, that we may use those days wisely. He has given us a purpose in all that we do, in all that we are about, we are to be living for His purposes. In, uh, in Colossians 3.23, He says, Whatever you do, work at it heartily. As for the Lord, not as for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward. You are serving whom? You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question for us, is that my mindset? Is that my heart? As my days go on, am I reading romance novels? Or am I reading biographies of great men and women of the faith? Do I ask the Lord daily, what is my purpose, Lord? How would you use me today? You know, for the younger generations here, you need to know that the Lord is shaping you, that He is molding you in a particular way for a particular purpose. You may not know what that purpose is at this point, but you can be assured that He has given you those gifts and abilities to be used, to be developed, and He will show that purpose. And to the extent that you're not using those, developing those, what are we doing? We're robbing God. Instead, He calls us to trust in Him. Trust in the Lord with all your might and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Seek to glorify Him and He will make your paths straight. You know, I think as we go after example after example of this commandment and how it applies uh, in our lives, I think this is just right here. This is sufficient for us to ask the question, how? How? How are we to do all this? Uh, are we convinced that we steal, that we defraud? If the, the answer to that is yes, the question is, where are we to go? What are we to do? And our only comfort is this that the Lord Jesus Christ has already done that which we desperately need. You know, the law is there. And the law convicts us of our sin. And when we see it rightly, it must convict us of our sin. It must help us to see the depth of that sin in our hearts. And what do we do? What should we see in our hearts? That we come up with justification again and again. I've done it. I'm good here. But we've got to see that none of that is enough. None of that frees me, frees you from condemnation. We have taken, we have misused, we have failed to steward what the Lord has so graciously given us. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has done it all for us. That He has taken our sin upon Himself and He has freed us from that burden of sin and that burden of guilt, and He has replaced it with His righteousness. And therefore, with a freedom not to sit under the thumb of the law and under guilt, but a freedom to serve Him out of what He has done because we are able to know a righteousness, a perfect righteousness. You know, in... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are the words for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. That's a picture of who we are. Here's a picture of what Christ has done. For our sake, He made Him, as Jesus Christ, the Lord made Jesus Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might be clothed in His righteousness, so that we might walk together with Him. 
And so what this word says to us here is go ahead and know and see and understand the full force of the law and allow it to take you to that place where you see your sin, you see your brokenness. But don't, st- don't stay there. Then see the glory, see the grace, see the mercy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is our righteousness, and therefore, He is our peace. You know, in Christ, we have a place to go, and therefore, we need to take the law, we need to see it, we need to understand it in its fullness. We need to understand what it's really saying to us, what the character of God is that's being revealed to us, and what it says about our own hearts. But then we need to be spurred onward to loving the law because it is a statement of who the Lord is and therefore to walking in obedience to the law. Here is a description of the man who sees the law in the right way. This is out of Psalm 1. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He says, bring it on. Let me see the fullness of your law. And let me see the ugliness of my own heart. What is he like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We are to walk in the way that He has provided, trusting in Christ, trusting in His provision, and then recognizing all that we have, all that's been taken care of, and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you walking with Him? Are you trusting in Him? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank You that You do not leave us alone. That you don't just leave us in our own sin to throw out our our justifications and then to rest upon them alone. But that you lift us up and you show us that it's something outside of ourselves that we must have. And you show us that He is the one who has already done that which we need. I pray, Lord, that you would help us day in and day out. We go through difficult times. We go through times when we are down, when we recognize our own brokenness. We recognize our own sin each time, Lord. Help us to turn to you, to recognize the gift that we have in Christ, and therefore to walk before you in new obedience because we know Christ. We know our God. And therefore, we are able to care for and love our neighbors. We pray for your help, and we thank you that you have not left us alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.